1: I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice Column for The Atlantic.
2: And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice Column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists.
1: Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront the problems in their lives and then give them actionable advice and have them report back to let us know what happened when they did what we suggested.
2: So sit back and welcome to today's session.
1: This week, a man who met his current partner because they shared the same ex wonders if their past will doom the relationship.
3: Seems almost too good to be true. Like, am I missing a key thing? Or is there something wrong with me and something wrong with my current partner that attracted us both to the ex? Or is there something that he saw in both of us that's going to like drop at some point?
2: First, a quick note. Dear Therapists is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hi, Guy. Hi, Lori.
1: So what are we going to be talking about today?
2: Today we have a letter from a man who is in a new relationship, which is a little bit in the shadow of an old relationship, and it goes like this. Dear therapists, for the past six months, I have been dating a man who is a good listener, kind and caring. However, we have a shared history with an ex-partner, with that relationship for both of us being traumatic in different ways, though more so for me than him. Both of us have no contact with this ex-partner or interest in having that. I feel supported in the relationship, but find it difficult to set boundaries when it comes to us both talking about this ex. While I think the shared history initially allowed us to connect in a deeper way, I have a persistent worry that it's causing me to overlook things about potential pitfalls in this relationship. How do I move forward and stop my negative feelings from the previous relationship from casting a shadow over my current one? Thanks for your help. Andrew?
1: Well, this is a really interesting situation because often exes do interfere with a current relationship. But in this case, it's the same ex. And they both had a difficult relationship with that ex, though one person had a more difficult relationship with that ex. And I can see how that could be really bonding in the beginning when they first met. But then the question is, how much of that is still living inside of their relationship so that they can have a fresh new relationship without the shadow of this ex.
2: Right, that is the question. I'm very curious about how they talk about this. Is it something that each of them brings up, that one of them tends to bring up more? Is it actually present in their relationship in the day-to-day in some way, or is it just something they feel compelled to talk about because that's how their relationship began? So I think we have a lot of questions. Let's go talk to Andrew.
1: You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does
1: I'm Laurie Gottlieb.
2: And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists.
1: Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
2: Of course. You're very welcome. We read your letter. We would like to start, actually, with the previous relationship, just for context. So with the ex, if you could tell us a little bit about how you met that person, what the relationship was like,
3: what the issues were that came up. So we met during peak COVID. It was about a two-year relationship and we just met on a dating app. It was quite supercharged. We went for lots of walks initially because we were trying to socially distance and it was very positive early. Lots of kind words, lots of fun activities, lots of sort of things that made me feel great. But quite early into the relationship, I would say about two months, trust issues started to develop. So it deteriorated from a perspective of, I felt very much like I was the one to blame for a lot of things. I felt like I wasn't meeting his standards and sort of tried to make up for that. When
2: you say trust issues started to develop, what exactly happened there?
3: Yeah. So he accused me of withholding information and didn't trust friends I would go out with and wasn't sort of trusting that those relationships weren't of a sexual and or sort of a romantic nature. So he would start to sort of question me. At one time, he even did go through my messages, often would feel like I wasn't being truly forthcoming and would sort of test me to see if things were what I said they were. And fair enough, one time he did sort of catch me out when I was withholding information because the way the dynamic worked is it would escalate and he would sort of probe me for things. And I sort of just started giving like the easier answer (laughs) because I was busy or I didn't want to have that chat right
1: then. Can you tell us what happened that one time when you were withholding information from him?
3: Yeah, so one time we were at sort of a study session and I'd come over to help him study and we had planned to do it for the whole day, but it wasn't going particularly well. And I was sort of getting messages from a friend. And so instead of saying, oh, I've been messaging this person for a little while, I'm going to go catch up with them. I said, oh, hey, this person just messaged me, I'm going to just go see them and leave this study session now. (laughs) And so I think I misrepresented how spontaneous it was versus having planned to go meet up with that person directly after. So instead of being honest about that, I sort of came up with a simple excuse that wasn't exactly true because I represented it as a spontaneous thing rather than a completely planned thing.
2: Why not be honest about that? I think
3: because at the time... I was trying to placate the situation and I felt there was a lot of friction. And so I didn't want to rock the boat necessarily and be honest, which was, you're being quite aggressive in this study session and you're kind of telling me that I'm not doing the right things to help you. And we're also not studying that effectively. I think we would probably study more effectively alone. So instead of saying all that, I just was like, oh, my friend just messaged me. I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was sort of the initial in the relationship. The trust did break down a little bit, but we repaired it.
1: Can I ask, how did you repair it?
3: So initially he sort of said that I had communication issues. So I went to see a therapist myself and I did some courses on communication. And then we went and saw a couples counselor together. And because it was COVID, we were getting on quite well. So then sort of six months into the relationship we moved in and that actually went okay because we became supports for each other.
1: At the time that you moved in, had the trust issues been resolved as far as you could tell?
3: No, I kind of just overlooked them. I sort of had always been a little bit on the back foot. I've been doing things to try and prove myself to this person often through things that he either requested or acts, token acts.
1: Like what kinds of things?
3: So I'd drop work and go help with one of his clients, for instance, if they needed things, or I would buy him a gift or I'd have a romantic gesture. I've always been afraid of heights, but he's always liked it. So I organized to go skydiving because I was like, oh, you, you don't trust me, so here's a show of that I'm willing to try anything with you.
1: What made you feel like you had so much to prove to this person? Is that something that felt familiar to you in other relationships as well?
3: I think going into the relationship, I did lack self-confidence. And I think I always saw him as this sort of idyllic person. So I was trying to really prove myself internally. And so I think that didn't help coming into it, but also because he had sort of called me a liar and said I was a bad communicator and said I wasn't bringing the right things to the table. Part of me wanted to sort of prove him wrong and also be that person for him. I I loved him.
1: How does going skydiving when you're afraid of heights prove to him that you're a trustworthy person?
3: I think for me, it was sort of the idea that part of my communication issues were connected to my anxiety and were connected to the things that I was holding back out of fear of of conflict. And so I think part of me choosing to do something like that was, oh, look, I can overcome my fears. I can be connected to you. I can do this with you. I can watch you fall out of a plane and follow you down kind of thing. That was the romantic gesture to it, but it was a bit extreme and silly.
2: Well, no, but they were grand gestures and it wasn't just jumping out of an airplane to be with someone. It was, he says, you have communication issues. You actually take communication courses. You go to therapy. That's a big response. That's a big gesture for someone. Was he making big gestures as well?
3: Initially, I would say yes, but I think a lot of the things that I thought were romantic gestures were probably just things he wanted to do anyway. For instance, like sometimes I'd come home and all the candles would be lit and we wouldn't sort of watch anything and dinner would be cooked and we'd just relax. And like, to me, that was really romantic. But as the relationship built, I realized those were things that he liked to do and he enjoyed sharing those with me, but I don't think they necessarily were for me.
2: So there weren't incidences of him going out of his way to make a gesture to you, like skydiving,
3: taking courses, going to therapy.
1: And specifically gestures around why he had so many questions around trust.
3: Yeah, I think he came into the relationship being pretty open about previous acts and about trust issues that he had. And so when he sort of found that first incidence of me sort of not being completely fully open he saw that as me not respecting his boundaries and stepping over that core wound that he had or that's how sort of he described it so i think he was pretty honest that i need full trust and i need complete transparency in this relationship and saw that i wasn't bringing that to the table and so felt he was holding me to account to that, but didn't feel like he needed to change necessarily.
1: Did he understand the impact of how much he needed to question you was having on you? That it felt intrusive to you?
3: I think he did, but he felt that he had to hold firm to his value system to respect who he was. He was
2: quite good at articulating his needs to you. And it sounds like you weren't quite Great at articulating yours to him?
3: Correct. There was definitely a power dynamic to the relationship where I had to learn to articulate my needs. And then when I did articulate those needs, I think because I felt like the inferior one in the relationship, I often would back down or just put them to the side in fear of a potential conflict.
1: What made you feel like the inferior one in the relationship?
3: I have sort of long-standing things that lead to that. I'm a middle child and I'm a little bit different to the rest of my family. And he sort of was stereotypically beautiful and he was sort of wrapped up in a social setting that I was very much separate to. So I think a lot of those things sort of made me feel like I didn't bring as much to the table. But I was also busy at the time. I was wrapped up in work and felt like I was constantly being run off my feet. And so I didn't feel like I could bring as much in terms of time commitment. And I think that also led to that feeling too.
2: So tell us how things evolved with the ex.
3: So it ended up going far too quickly. We lived together for six to seven months and I wouldn't say they were harmonious, but I think because I sort of suppressed a lot of things that I was having issues with and he was clear with what he had issues with, I was getting more and more tired And so wanted to change things. And as a lot of people did during COVID, decided, oh, yeah, let's move interstate. I'll go regionally. And we talked about our longstanding goals. And at about a year and a half, we decided to buy a house together, which was (laughs) a big and pretty ridiculous step. And so when we moved up to start to live in the house together, that's when things really broke down.
4: In
1: what way?
3: We had a really big fight. We were traveling up in a caravan to our new property in separate cars, and my ex sort of found an animal that was injured and so asked me to loop back and grab some supplies for it. But then after that episode, he was acting sort of more erratic and was sort of not allowing me to support him at all, really. He sort of disconnected from me and didn't want to chat and didn't want to talk and just wanted to look after this animal. And so it led to fight just as we were moving up to this property. And we had sort of chickens in one car and we had all of my things in another car. And so he was struggling to sort of drive with one of the cars attached to the caravan with all the things. So I said we'd swap, but my car had all my things that I needed in it. And so what ended up happening was he ended up driving off and leaving me. But because all my things were in the other car, I I ended up running out of charge and not having a phone or a computer or anything. So it ended up being quite significant. And then when I sort of tried to highlight that as an issue to him, it ended up culminating in us breaking up. Just as we were about to start our new lives, we broke up, which wasn't anticipated or expected.
1: How did it go from you talking about this disagreement that you had to breaking up? How does it escalate like that?
3: Yeah, it escalated quite quickly. I think from his perspective at the time, his words were, I don't want to baby you. And so I think potentially the dynamic in the relationship had set up so that because I was just meeting his needs a lot, he felt like he was the sort of more parental figure. And I was sort of the more submissive one where I would sort of go along with what he wanted.
2: But Andrew, usually the parent is the one that meets the needs of the child, not Vice versa, that sets you up to be the parent, not him.
3: Again, it's tricky because I am speaking for him.
2: But why then? Why, Andrew, when we ask you what happened? You always start, well, I don't want to speak for him, but here's his perspective before you get to yours. How come you start with him before you get to you?
3: You've done that several times. Do you notice that? Yeah, I do. I am putting myself second. I guess that's true.
1: So tell us about you. How does it go from we had a disagreement about the caravan to we're breaking up? What was happening for
3: you? For me, it all came to a head because I felt very much alone. I anticipated with the move that it would be something we would do together. But even in the lead up to the move, I was selling things sort of online to try and make space to move things in this caravan. I was doing a lot of things and I felt in that moment that It wasn't a team effort and it wasn't necessarily us moving up to our house. It was me facilitating us moving up to his house is how I felt it was. And so I think being on a rural property by myself without service, having only just gotten there because I almost ran out of petrol because I couldn't pay for it with chickens and having to unload all of my worldly possessions by myself, it kind of hit me that like, ah, I think I am pretty alone. And that was what for me triggered a lot of the breakup feelings.
1: But instead of talking to him about how alone and abandoned you felt, you told him you wanted to break up?
3: Oh, no, he broke up with me. I told him those things. And then that led to the breakup.
1: So when you told him how you felt and what you needed, he broke up with you?
3: Yes, correct.
1: And that was how long ago?
3: A year and three quarters ago, yeah.
1: And then when did you meet your current boyfriend?
3: So I met him seven months ago.
1: How long ago did he date the mutual ex?
3: So that's interesting because he started dating my ex two months after I'd broken up with him. So pretty quick. And I was sort of surprised by that initially when we started talking.
2: And how long were they together?
3: They were together for a month and a couple weeks.
2: Okay, so much more casual relationship.
3: Correct. But similarly, it went quite rapidly. They became exclusive quite quickly. And then he actually ended up living at my old property for a while.
1: The trust issues that your ex had with you, did your ex also have with the person who became your current boyfriend?
3: Yes. Similar trust issues followed a very similar script.
1: And in that relationship, who broke up with whom?
3: Again, my ex-boyfriend broke up with my current one.
2: Andrew, when you left that relationship with your ex, did you have takeaways? Did you have lessons learned that you told yourself like, okay, here are some things I might not want to do again or some things I might need to do differently? Were you doing some thinking about the relationship and what you can learn from it?
3: A hundred percent. And I moved away and I found a new job. and. I had some therapy and I sort of said I wasn't going to get into a relationship for a long time because I was really still in love with my ex, I think, for probably six months. The wound just took about six months to heal properly.
2: What then were the takeaways? Tell us what those lessons were.
3: I think to sort of stick up for myself and be more firm in what I needed in a relationship and what I was looking for, but also to put myself First, I think you can't show up for another person unless you are looking after your sort of core needs. And I think that concept of getting run down in a relationship is really something that I'm not looking to do again. I saw that in trying to meet all the things on someone's list that I was sort of devaluing the things that I am as a person. I wasn't who I really needed to be. And so I think understanding that I do sort of lie more on the anxious spectrum and that I do need to work harder and making sure that I'm looked after, but also just that I need to be a bit more picky. I kind of, at that time, ended up cutting out a couple of people because I, I felt that they weren't people who actually listened to me and actually heard me and actually respected or valued my time. And so that breakup wasn't just a breakup with my ex. It was also a little bit of a breakup with a couple of people in my life.
1: So how long after your current boyfriend broke up with your ex-boyfriend, did the two of you start dating?
3: The way it initially happened actually was because it was quite tumultuous for my current boyfriend. He'd heard a lot of things about me from my ex and so reached out to clarify some of those things. And it wasn't romantically inclined at all. He was just reaching out because he said, hey, I heard some things about you and I've had a similar experience. Do you want to meet up for coffee and chat about it? I just didn't respond and was very guarded. And I think that's when he initially messaged, which was too soon after we'd broken up. It was maybe six months after. And so I said no and waited a couple of months. And then I remember thinking if I was Sort of going through that first six months period and had someone who could share how they were feeling and share in that pain almost and highlight that it's not that crazy feeling I felt, that it's all my fault. And to be able to say, Oh no, hey, this is a pattern and it's not your fault and you can move on. Why wouldn't I do that for someone? So I did catch up for coffee and we shared our stories about this person and they ended up being relatively similar, even though his was a lot shorter than mine. So that was sort of the context for us meeting.
2: How did it evolve from that
3: to getting interested in one another? I think it evolved quite quickly, which wasn't something I planned. And I think there was a lot of immediate trust purely because we'd been open very quickly about things that were really painful for both of us. And I come from a position of, a bit further down the track. So I'd been broken up for longer. I had sort of less emotion to it, but I'd been in a longer relationship and so I had more things to share. And I guess partially a lot of my worry was I'd set up clear boundaries that I wasn't going to be in a relationship and I wasn't going to have a messy relationship again. So I was a bit cautious, but We chatted for hours and then met up shortly thereafter and chatted for hours again. And then talking about our ex turned into talking about each other and each other's lives. And we ended up going on hikes together, which we both really enjoyed. And I think the similarities that potentially my ex chose us for were also things that made us very compatible together as dating options. And so I think that trust that we had sharing and being vulnerable with each other out of the gate. And then that leading on to things that we shared about each other that were vulnerable in other spheres led to a pretty open communication upfront, which I think is rare.
1: So in terms of the lessons learned, what is different in this current relationship that you're bringing into it and that you're finding that's much more satisfying to you?
3: the generosity and spirit of my current boyfriend, I'm willing to admit when he's wrong. He has a lot more flexibility, can also overcome adversity, but has at the same time a level of stability in his life and things that he doesn't want to change.
2: Andrew, you're talking about him again? We're asking about you?
3: So, I think for me, I needed someone who was stable and who could support me. I've been moving around a relative amount. And so, initially, my boundary was I don't want it to go too fast. I needed something that was consistent and stable, but also something that went at a gradual pace and wasn't necessarily that supercharged, all or nothing experience that I had in the previous relationship. I also needed to feel like I was being listened to and needed to feel like my partner fed back when they weren't happy with things in a way that was respectful. Those were my main things that I, I really had strong boundaries around.
2: Which you articulated to the current boyfriend and expressed clearly?
3: Yeah, actually, we're doing a long distance at the moment, but I said up front I don't want to be moving in anytime soon. I don't really want to have shared resources at any point in the near future. And those are the things that he provides that I needed to feel more secure in the relationship.
2: Let me ask, you spent hours talking about the ex. There's absolutely something about being vulnerable with people that brings people closer. I'm curious about how soon after that, the ex receded into the background in this relationship or how present they were or are still in the conversation between the two of you?
3: Not super present in the day-to-day conversation. Annoyingly, there's practicalities. We did buy a house together. And so that's still undergoing mediation. And so every now and then that pops up. But there are tiny little things, for instance, when we go to the shops and we're going to buy things and he'll be like, oh, do you like these grapes? And I'll be like, I don't really eat those anymore because they were my ex's favorite. And then we'll talk about it briefly and then it'll be gone. But that still does occasionally pop up, I would say, maybe like once every two weeks or so. There'll be something that maybe one of us is triggered by or one of us picks up that is an annoyance because it's related to that shared ex.
1: It comes up for both of you. He also mentions the ex.
3: It comes up more for me, I would say, than him. I'm sort of more of the one to say, Oh, that's something he would have liked. And I don't know if that's because I spent longer with the ex or whether it's because I've got more of a hang up about it, maybe both.
2: You said in your letter that you have trouble setting boundaries with your current boyfriend because of the ex. We haven't quite heard that. Tell us where that's operating and give us an example of that difficulty.
3: For me, my boundaries around the speed of which things are moving, about prioritising my career, about prioritising my friendships that mean a lot to me, means that sometimes he's asking for things and I'm saying no. My worry around that is if I'm the one saying no, for a really long time, that resentment will build up. And at the moment, he's been very frank that that's not the case. But every now and then it flares that, like, I'm not meeting this person's needs or expectations and I'm not being the best partner I could be to this man. The way in which we met, I just was the messier one insofar as I had more of these attachments to this person that neither of us wanted to be attached to. And so I think feeling as the messier one and then having the more firm boundaries because of that. I feel like I'm the bad cop more often.
1: Do you talk about that in the relationship? Do you ask him how he feels about the fact that you're more boundaryed and taking it slower than maybe he
3: wants? Yes. I often say like, oh, I'm sorry. I know.
1: Oh, see, but that's you apologizing. What I'm asking is, do you say to him, I'm feeling worried about the fact that I'm setting these boundaries and that it might affect our relationship as opposed to apologizing preemptively. Do you ever say, this is just how I'm feeling and how are you feeling about it?
3: Yeah. I have verbalized sort of saying, I think he sort of has been pretty clear that one day he wants to move to the same spot and live together. And I've very clearly stated that's not going to be a while just based on my work. And so I worry that I'm holding you back.
1: I think that you're not really stating your worry. It sounds like your worry is, I'm worried that you will want to leave me. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's the smile. I'm worried that you will want to leave me if I don't move at a certain pace. I'm worried that you will want to leave me if I continue to say no to these things at this time. It's interesting because you're fine saying, hey, I don't want to eat these grapes because they remind me of the ex." but you're not so fine saying, I'm really worried that you're going to leave me, that you're not going to want to be with me.
3: Yeah, loss aversion is something that I've been afraid of in all my relationships. I've probably stuck around too long in a lot of them just for fear of losing someone. So I think the longer into this relationship it goes, the more I do want to do things to bring us closer, but also the more afraid I am that potentially I could lose someone I'm starting to care deeply about because I can't meet their needs.
1: In your letter, you say that you're worried that the connection that you initially had around the ex and coming together to have those conversations is maybe too much a part of the relationship. And I would say that that doesn't seem like the real issue in terms of how the ex is too much a part of the relationship. I think the ex is too much a part of the relationship because you're bringing those abandonment fears from that old relationship into this relationship. So I don't think the ex is so much the issue. I think the feelings that you had around the ex of being abandoned, you're projecting onto your current partner. And I think you're with a very different kind of partner by your description. Sounds like a very different kind of relationship. And you're still holding back because you have those feelings that you had in the old relationship, even though they're not so relevant to this new relationship.
3: That's true. Anytime I bring anything like this up, my partner's pretty quick to support and sort of reassure and tell me all the things that he sees in me. And it is a, a different kind of feeling. I do. Th- think that I'm bringing those worries and concerns from the previous relationships into this one. And I guess that's why I didn't want to get into a relationship because I felt like I wasn't ready. I think that I probably am bringing the old ones into this one, but I don't want to necessarily throw this one away (laughs) because I'm not ready. How do I grow in it? You know?
2: I think you are though, because you're saying that you're actually implementing a lot of the lessons learned from the ex in the current relationship, you're actually holding on to your boundaries really, really well, from what I hear. The feelings though, are still there. And here's why when you adopt a new behavior, there was a reason you weren't setting a lot of boundaries in the previous relationship. And it wasn't just about your ex, it was about a fear you were probably bringing into that relationship of if I express my needs too much, they will run. So let me not do that. And here, despite that fear, you're holding on to the timeline that you thought was best for this relationship. There's this transitionary period when we adopt new behaviors and overcome the old fears where the old fears really manifest. And it's like, oh, you're doing something dangerous. You're doing something risky, but you know in your head you're doing something right. Psychologically, when we adopt a new behavior, it takes our feelings a while to catch up and feel comfortable about doing that new behavior, we kind of have to see that the sky doesn't fall for a while before we can start to feel a little bit calmer about it. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, it does. You guys are like hitting on me, feeling this torn feeling that I've been feeling and you're articulating it far better than I could. In my previous relationships, I felt like I couldn't express myself and had to push it down. And now I'm on the other end of the spectrum, sort of expressing myself and feeling internal guilt for that.
1: And I think you feel that guilt because it's so strongly associated with how you felt in that previous relationship. But I think that that's something you came into that relationship with. You've had that for a long time. It's just, this is maybe the first relationship that you've had where you're not experiencing someone who's invalidating what you need.
3: Yeah, it it is interesting because my current boyfriend is the one who very clearly says I would feel like that too. Actually, I did feel like that. He's been very accommodating, which I think is not something that I was used to previously, but also feels really foreign and almost unsettling in a way, because a part of me, and I know this isn't right, but a part of me feels, why does he like me this much? Like, (laughs) Why is he willing to stick around with the mess of me?
1: In your last relationship, you said that your boyfriend had trust issues, and I think these are your trust issues. You're not so much around, let me check your phone. You're around, I don't understand why you are staying with me, even though I'm showing you the truth of who I am. Every time I show you who I am, you stay with me. What's wrong with you? Or do you not really see me? And are you really seeing this thing here? Because I don't know why you're still staying if you're really seeing me. So these are your trust issues.
3: Yeah, and I think I feel that harder because of this life mess that I have with this ex. Because I still have those attachments and I didn't get out sooner. And my current boyfriend could see the signs a lot earlier.
2: You know, you've used the word messy numerous times today. You're the mess, the relationship was a mess, you're messy, how come this new tidy boyfriend who got out after a month and a half, rather than however many months in a house, has to tolerate your messiness by still being in mediation? To me at least, you don't sound very messy. I'm trying to make the point with you that you actually are doing the right things, you just have to manage the emotional discomfort of the novelty of that for you. And the anxiety, as Laurie said, that fear of abandonment that was baked in, that if you actually do express yourself and show who you are, that somebody will be like, oh, no, 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 that's not good. Because that was the experience with the exes more than one.
1: So tell us the main concern in your letter was how the ex is showing up in this relationship. Tell us where you think that's happening besides, oh, the grapes, I don't want to eat because he used to eat them.
3: I think it's in three different spheres. I think there's the physical means, so sort of me being financially tied to it still. There's the practical means where like we see things and have shared experiences and have shared places that I kind of don't really want to go because they remind me of the ex or because that's where the ex lives. And then there's also the emotional stuff, which is every now and then I sort of get triggered sort of where I'm like, oh, that reminded me of that thing that happened and makes me feel really unsettled. And I think expressing that every sort of now and then I worry that given our shared history that that's going to keep happening.
1: I think the other worry you expressed was that maybe because you felt such a strong connection around your shared experience with the ex that you start to question your compatibility with your current partner. Even though everything you've said today has made it seem like separate from the ex, the two of you seem very, very compatible. So what do you worry about in terms of your compatibility or this fear of you're not seeing the red flags, as you said in your letter?
3: A part of me is really worried because the trust being so easy and mutual in the way that we met, I worry that it seems almost too good to be true. Like, am I missing a key thing or is there something wrong with me and something wrong with my current partner that attracted us both to the ex? Or is there something that he saw in both of us that's going to like drop at some point that we actually were overlooking because we've been so wrapped up in this sort of ease. This
2: is exactly what Laurie was saying earlier. It's not a fear about your ex. It's a fear about I'm bringing my full self to this relationship. I am not hiding my needs, my wants, my feelings. And it's really scary that me doing that truly for the first time will result in I'll get rejected at some point. And it's exactly what you said. It's like, this feels too good to be true. What am I missing? And so far, Laurie and I are telling you that you seem to be really covering all the bases. It seems like the communication is where it should be, that your planning is going at a rate that you felt was important to be slow enough, which is what it is, that you have aligned goals for the future, and that when someone's really listening to you and seeing you and responding well, it's scary because of a history of that not being the case. It really does sound like, oh, this feels too good to be true, so something must be wrong that I'm missing. I need outside counsel to come and do the vetting because I can't trust that, that feeling of it seems to be going well is actually accurate. Mm. What if it were
3: accurate? What if it actually is going well?
1: Do you feel terrified? You look terrified.
3: (laughs) I just think it's like too easy. It seems weird that something positive has come out from something so negative and that it was just a genuine connection that was really not expected. And like, it just seems like the best thing that's come out of a really terrible situation. And a lot of people that I've told have said, oh, you're not supposed to date your ex's ex.
1: What rule book is that written in?
2: I know we didn't get that one.
3: I know. I think that you
1: soothe your anxiety by having anxiety. Your anxiety is so familiar to you. It's been with you for so long that when you don't have anxiety, you become anxious. If I am anxious, then I can be hypervigilant and I can make sure that I'm not going to get hurt. But that hasn't actually worked. And here, you're actually being overly hypervigilant. So it's almost like you weren't vigilant enough in the other relationships, ironically, the ones where you needed to look out for those signs. You were not paying enough attention to them when they did happen, and they happened quite frequently in the last relationship. And in this relationship, there are no real big red flags. Things come up, you guys deal with them. If I don't have my anxiety, which is my shield, which protects me, which makes sure that I'm not going to be devastated and gutted again in the way that I had been. But the problem is your anxiety is going to make you not move forward in a healthy relationship. You will find some reason. And right now that reason is it's the shadow of the ex. And so this relationship is doomed because it started this way. So no matter how great it is now, it doesn't really matter because everyone says you're not supposed to start a relationship that way. Well, that's very convenient, but it doesn't really reflect the reality of the relationship you're in.
3: Yeah, no, I agree.
2: One of the issues is that your attribution for why things are going well is not aimed correctly. You told us that you were in one relationship after another in which you weren't bringing yourself, you weren't speaking up, you weren't expressing your needs sufficiently, and you leave this relationship, and you go to therapy, and you work on yourself, and then you're in a relationship, and despite the discomfort, despite the anxiety of doing it, you are doing all these very difficult, correct things, and that is why the relationship is going well. Not because your ex cast a spell on you both in some kind of way.
1: I'm thinking about your ex and his trust issues in the way that he always needed to be reassured that you were not stepping out on him. And I feel like you do that to yourself, that you're doing what your ex did to you, but to yourself. You're always checking on yourself. Am I looking for everything? Am I making sure that I'm not missing anything? It sounds exhausting. The way that it was exhausting to be with your ex when he would always say, let me see your phone and what are you doing and who are you with? It was really becoming intolerable. And you're not letting yourself just trust in this relationship. I'm talking about trust yourself, not your partner. You don't trust yourself enough in this relationship to say, I don't need to look for disaster ahead. I need to be aware I can't have my head in the sand. But I don't need to be wondering where the next disaster is coming from.
3: Because I'm doing all the right things. That's why I don't need to worry.
1: We just saw you tear up. Tell us more about that.
3: I think it just comes from a place of not feeling good enough. And I just feel good enough. Like, I feel like I am a good communicator. I feel like I do bring a lot to the table. I do have a lot of value to add in a relationship. And you're probably right. The uncomfortable feeling is the pushback against that. And potentially the reason I bring my ex into that conversation a lot is because he often said I wasn't. And now I don't need to be that perfect partner, but I wasn't expecting this from this session.
2: And that's what touched you right now. You got in touch with that feeling. You said it, but what touched you when you teared up is you got in touch with the feeling of, I think I might be good enough. I think I am good enough because I've worked so hard at it. That's what—it's touching you again, because you're tearing up again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't have to apologize yeah. for having feelings.
1: We call those happy tears. Yes. Because mm. you're smiling as you're tearing up. You've got a big smile on your face. And even if these were sad tears, there's no need to apologize for them. And I'll bet that your boyfriend doesn't expect an apology when you are feeling whatever you're feeling and sharing that with him
3: no he doesn't yeah i cry a lot and he's there yeah yeah it's good i don't know getting older i've just started crying watching like sad movies but it's good
2: it's not getting older it's all the work you've done to get in touch with how you feel and what you want and give that room and space that opens you up so you're open when you watch a sad movie you can cry because that's what sad movies are supposed to make you do couldn't cry before because you were too defended because
3: you were being attacked all the time it's also just nice having someone who doesn't have any expectations like the expectation is i am me and he likes that whereas i think the thing that i tapped into is potentially i put the most expectations on myself and yes other people put those on me but i take them on and hold them and so i think some of the tears were also just a bit of like the person who has the least expectations in my life at the moment. are my partner and that's pretty special.
1: I want to maybe reframe that for you. I think your partner has very high expectations and that's why he picked you. You make it sound like he had no expectations. So whatever, he'll settle for me kind of thing. He has very high expectations. He wants someone who is present and open and loving and warm and compassionate and knows how to set boundaries and knows how to check in with him. And that's why he's with you, because he has really high expectations. So it's not just, oh, he doesn't have any expectations, so that's why he's staying with me. He's staying with me because he has high expectations and I am good enough. That's a very different way of looking at it. I think you both have very high expectations and you've chosen people who meet those expectations. And neither of you had that before.
2: So, Andrew, we have some advice for you and here's part one. We want you and your boyfriend, each of you, to separately make a list. And the list is why things are going well why we can trust in our feeling that this is indeed going well. What are the things we're doing? And then we would like you, when you're together, to read each other your lists and discuss. Because we think it's really important that you each understand that things are going well because of the openness, the communication, and the work you're each putting into it.
1: The idea behind this, just to keep in mind as you're doing it, is you seem to not really trust that it could be going this well, that there must be something wrong. There must be something that you're not seeing. There's some red flag that you're missing. It's all going to blow up. And so we want you to see that there are reasons why this is going well and that both of you are contributing to that in a way that hasn't happened in your other relationships. The next thing we'd like you to do is to make another list. And this has to do with your question about whether you're good enough. And we'd like you to write down all of the things that make you an appealing partner. All of the reasons that someone would be thrilled to be with you. Why is your boyfriend with you? Because he has really high standards and this is what you bring. And every time you start to doubt and say, am I good enough? Am I too messy? All of those questions that you have. We want you to take out that list and look at it again.
3: Okay. (laughs) I I can do that. I am preemptively embarrassed, but I will do that. Good, good.
1: Yes, we can see because you went silent and that's why we think you need to have it on paper where you can look at it, not just in your head, but we need you to write it down and have it maybe posted above your desk and on the bathroom mirror. It's something that you need to look at frequently. And related to that, because this is really about your anxiety, we'd like you to do a little reading. And the book that we want to suggest is called The Anxiety Toolkit by Alice Boyce, B-O-Y-E-S, because the book is just extremely practical.
2: Here's the next thing. Laurie and I both feel that the reason you wrote to us was because you wanted us to vet the fact that this seems to be going well, but I'm obviously missing something and I can't find it. Please help me find it so I know what's wrong. And we think that you do that with your friends as well. When your friends say to you, it's not wise perhaps to be in a relationship with somebody who dated your ex, it's probably because you're setting them up to say that by your presentation of like, this is probably crazy, but we met, we have the same ex and that couldn't go well, right? And your friends are like, he wants to hear right. And we say, yes, yes, you should be careful. So we'd like you to go to each friend who validated incorrectly that this was problematic and actually say to them, hey, I know I came to you to validate my fears and my anxieties and to think about the catastrophe that's looming so I can see it coming because I don't see it coming yet. But actually, things are going quite well. And I wanted to tell you about that and tell you a little bit about why I think they're going well. So you correct the impression so that your friends around you are not sitting there Waiting to cherry pick anything bad that happens, go to your friends to tell them it's working and here's why. And do that with each of the ones that you went to to get the validation for the doom and gloom that isn't here.
3: To my friends' credit, they, I think, are just being protective after what I went through previously. But I can definitely do that. I think they'd be open to hearing that feedback because I think everyone's been very protective and it would be nice to have some positives. Yeah.
1: If you do anything with them, like you did with us, you're inviting the negativity. And you're not saying enough about what is going really well and what makes you really happy. And we had to really, really pull that out of you. So they're not working with the full picture here. They don't know how well it's going. They don't know how happy you are. You could say, I'm really terrified because it is going so well, but I'm being boundaried. I'm taking it slowly. I am protecting myself. And I feel really good with the foundation that we're setting here. So we need your friends to have a much fuller picture so that when they do give you feedback, it's based on how the relationship is actually going and not the anxiety and the catastrophizing and the inviting disaster. The last thing, we would like you to start reclaiming the grapes. And what I mean by that is, there are these places and spaces and food that you associate with your ex. And it still makes the ex loom so large in your life, but you're moving on to a different chapter. And so if there are things that you truly enjoy, maybe it's grapes, maybe it's a restaurant and it doesn't have the shadow of the ex looming over it. The only way that the ex really has an effect on your life right now is the gift that your ex gave both of you, which is that it taught you both what you want and need in the next relationship and how to do the work and how to be different. That's the legacy of your ex. We don't want it to be, and we can't go to this restaurant and we can't eat these foods. Your ex gave you something so valuable and now you're reaping the benefits.
2: And when you do go to these places and have those grapes, intentionally create new associations around them that have nothing to do with your ex. Don't just go to the restaurant for the sake of doing it, but go for a happy occasion where you're celebrating something that's meaningful and really intentionally create new associations to kind of eradicate
3: the old ones.
1: So how does all this advice sound?
3: That sounds really good. Thank you. Excellent.
1: Well, we really look forward to hearing how this goes for you this week.
3: Thank you guys so much for your help and your patience helping me pull it out of me i apologize for potentially having circular thoughts
2: one more apology and you're going to get another task and (laughs) (laughs) to (laughs) eradicate apologies
1: (laughs) we're going to give you a non-apology homework if you apologize again
3: you do not need to apologize and just to say your podcast did really help me when i was going through a really tough time i think i did an 18 and a half hour drive over a couple of days and listened to all of them so thanks for your help
2: You know, Laurie, I remember in season one, we had a letter that the subtext of the letter was, am I a scumbag? And here the subtext of the session, not the letter, was, am I happy? And I think our answer was, yeah, we think you're kind of happy, albeit worried about it. And it was interesting to see that time and again, Andrew came back to, oh, but this might be a problem, but that might be a problem. And then hearing about the relationship, it was all so solid that it was just very nice to be able to say, no, this is truly going quite
1: well. And I think he puts up these walls because he's so wary that there's some red flag out there that he's missing. It's important for him to be aware of what's going on in the relationship, but if he's always looking for a potential problem, he's never gonna be able to be really present and as we said, enjoy the happiness that he's actually experiencing. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break.
5: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Well, Guy, we heard back from Andrew, and let's hear how his week went.
3: Dear Lori and Guy, your advice actually came at a really good time. My partner, recently visited and we went on a prolonged two and a half day hike, which was perfect time to sort of talk about everything that we feel. And we had a lot of time to sort of connect. It was quite enlightening because I created a list of all the things that I thought made me an appealing partner and also what was working well in the relationship. And it turns out after talking about that with my partner, he'd made a list quite early on in the relationship of all the things that he liked in me and all the things that he thought were green flags and he decided to share that with me and it was nice to sort of validate some of the things that I felt about myself but also see myself through someone else's eyes in terms of linking how I was feeling and all the doubts that I had to my anxiety and stemming that all back to potential self-hatred and self-doubt that it had crept in and maybe flared after a breakup with my ex, which I think potentially my partner was also feeling at the time and, and also shares that feeling. It is nice to know that by talking these things through together and dispelling our anxieties through love and validation, it's been kind of special to do that with my partner. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten around to reading the Anxiety Toolkit, but it is top of my list. I did talk to my friends, though, and talked through how potentially the way that I was discussing the relationship was filled with self-doubt. And they reiterated that notion, but also said that they'll continue to look out for me and that was affirming as well. I think I'm really lucky and have good friends who do care. And it's nice to share this part of my relationship and my life with them. In terms of the reclaiming the grapes, we have actually started on that one too, almost inspired by the food trope. I have been cooking more and I've been deciding to make some meals that I used to make in the previous relationship, but with ingredient twists to cater to my current partner and it's a good way to show that I care and for us to connect. So thank you for all your help and advice. It's actually, I think brought me closer together with my partner and I hope to carry it forward in the future and work on that anxiety and self-doubt a little bit so that I stop second guessing things that might just be healthy and good.
1: We don't really have much to say because he did everything so beautifully. I love that his partner already had that list, that he had made one himself, and it was at the ready.
2: <laughs> I know that rarely happens. That rarely happens that we give over, and the partner's like, done it already,
1: anticipated. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it shows, too, that he was thinking through things, that the partner's very thoughtful. Right. It sounds like they're a very good match and that they're self-reflective. They're both going into this after having dated this person that affected them in different ways. They're being very aware of the kind of relationship that they want. So I think the partner made that list thinking, I'm going to be very aware going into this new relationship. And we know that Andrew wants to be very aware going into this new relationship too.
2: I agree. And what occurred to me was that they met through this ex that each of them had dated and they thought that was a problem for the relationship but what it did is it forced them both to be very attentive to the relationship mindful of how they're feeling mindful of how things are developing it might have turned out to be a gift in that way because it really put them on such a positive communicative note and thinking note from day one which i think is really serving them now too
1: Yeah. And even though this was a very specific situation, not a lot of people start dating because they dated the same person. I think this applies to everybody in terms of how do I deal with the ghosts of my past as I go into a new relationship? Like when he's reclaiming the grapes, he's doing something that gives him pleasure and he's not associating it now with the ex, but he's saying, and I've kind of tweaked the recipe. So it applies to this new relationship and all of the second guessing that people do after they've hurt in a former relationship, he's really learning how to manage that and look at what is actually happening now versus what am I spinning in my mind that is not something that's a red flag. This wasn't a one-time exercise. This was a way of being in the relationship as they go forward and move past whatever history they had with the ex and see who they are to each other.
2: I think the moral of the story in this relationship is true for all relationships, and that is Pay a lot of attention at the beginning. Be excited, go with the flow, but be mindful and be thoughtful from day one. Next week, a woman whose family disowned her after she refused to loan her father a huge amount of money wonders how to grieve the loss and how to trust again.
1: That evening, my dad called me. I thought he wanted to apologize, but then it was all about. I'm not your dad anymore. You're not my daughter anymore. We're just strangers now. You mean nothing to me. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss any episodes. And please help support your Therapist by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show.
2: If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Zachary Fisher and Katie Matty. Our intern is Alana Doherty. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Fish food. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.